Um, but yeah, let's do um, let's do our uh, my Sunday school. Dan just asked me like on Wednesday to do this, and I just grabbed a um, a line out of this book. I'm reading. Have you seen Dan passing this book out? Um, Measure of the Mission by Rich Lusk. Um, it's like a really nice like theological overview. It's a really nice theological overview of our of our denomination's kind of theology, kind of starting with how we, how scripture, church, and the family, and the mission of the family all kind of fit together into a seamless vision, and it's really, um, it's really readable. It's really like high level. Um, measures of the mission, yeah, it's a self-serve. It's very high level, but it's a it's a nice surface coverage of a ton of different stuff. Um, anyways, been reading that, and there's one line in it that um, that I grabbed to kind of talk through on Sunday school, which is I'll pull it up right here. This is one of the biggest problems in the church today is that we preach the gospel rather than the gospel of the kingdom. And I, I wanted to kind of explore what's the difference there and how is the gospel of the kingdom different from the gospel as we typically express it. Um, and I basically planned to kind of survey a bunch of verses that I think illustrate um, illustrate maybe um, the, the typical gospels we presented, maybe the four spiritual laws illustrate kind of I think the tension with, with, with Rich Lusk is talking about. Not probably not prepared in scope this morning to actually go in and like exegete any of these verses specifically, <laughs> but I wanted to like have us kind of read through them and get kind of a survey of these different topics and kind of talk through it a little bit. So can I give you guys a bunch of scripture verses to start with? <coughs> so can we? Who who doesn't have a Bible? Everyone has a Bible. I'm gonna have everyone read because I got I got a bunch of scripture. I'm gonna try and get through it all, and it's I. As I was doing this, I ran into someone. You guys probably heard it before, but it was just uh, he had a rule: never read a Bible verse. And we are we are going to do the opposite of that <laughs> this morning. We're going to read a lot of Bible verses, and then try and like create a seamless whole out of them uh, without actually reading all the context in each one. Um, Jeremiah, hey, you're doing great. Keep going. Keep working, Josiah. <laughs> Would you turn to Matthew eleven twelve and get ready to read that for me? Jonathan, would you do Matthew 13, 44 to 47? 44 to 47? Yep. Okay. Courtney, would you do Matthew 24, 14? Bethany, would you do Matthew 25, 1? I think 1. Let's skip that. Why don't you do Matthew 10, Mark 10, 15? Yep. Um, Sam, would you do Luke 4, 43? Andrew, would you do Luke 9, 2? Josh, would you do Luke 12, 31? And Rick, would you do Luke 16, 16? So I think these verses kind of illustrate the, the tension maybe that Lusk is referring to. What was it again? What was my verse? Um, you are Matthew eleven twelve. What, first Matthew eleven twelve. First Matthew eleven twelve. yes. <laughs> the first gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 12. Chapter 
John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent violence takes it by force. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and buy it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. Thanks. Courtney? Uh, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he sent them, through the disciples, out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. The law and the prophets were until John, since that time the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. <clears throat> so what's the what's the theme here? A couple of the ones I pulled out are uh, kingdom of God is coming slash here. We need to be ready. We need to strive for it. We need to sell all we have to get into it. The violent will take it. There's a witness against Israel. It, none of it really <laughs> sounds like you're a sinner. Jesus died to save you from your sins. Repent and believe in him and you'll be saved. It doesn't, you can, I, I think you can kind of hear the tension, uh, even though we just surveyed some verses that Lusk is referring to. Um, so, and that's what I think about I think the gospel in its simplest form is those kind of like four spiritual laws. So is Jesus preaching something different? Well, I'm, we're going to survey some other verses. Um, would you read Mark 16, 16? Or backwards, <coughs> Rick, would you read Luke 8, 12? Um, Josh, John 3, 5. And Andrew, X. Just wrote down X 16. Just, just hold on that one. <laughs> okay, look for kingdom stuff. Okay, go ahead. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Josh? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one, one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then I, I, I was Acts 16, the verse uh, 31, I'll read it. Um, it's when the, the jailer is about to kill himself, and they say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved, you and your household. So, like, clearly, our normal gospel presentation is fully there. You know, like, it's fully biblical. We're hearing this idea of believe in Jesus, and you'll be saved. What's the difference between this kingdom message Jesus is preaching and, and the believe and be saved message because you know lust sees a, a little bit of attention there um, and one answer would be to say Jesus kingdom is the spiritual kingdom of, of hearts and minds and we could turn to um, Luke 17 21 you want to pull up Luke 17 21 Sam um, 
And um, Beth, can you go to John 18.36? Nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Hmm. So you kind of get that idea, their kingdom of God is in, inside you. Um, John 18.36, yeah. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. So you can kind of get that, get that idea, kind of connecting the two ideas there and kind of internally in the spiritual kingdom sense. Um, but we also want to trivialize and reshape Jesus' message of the kingdom into something it isn't. And we're, I got some verses kind of to maybe give a different angle than that. Uh, Jeremiah, would you read Colossians 1, 15 to 20? Uh, uh, um, Courtney, would you read John 3, 7? Um, actually, let's not do John 3, 7. Would you read Romans 8, 19? And uh, it's right after it, but Jonathan, would you read Romans 8, 21? So uh, who's reading first, Jeremiah? Colossians 15, uh, what? Colossians 1, 15 to 20. versus the physical kingdom in our heart we are to pray daily may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven so there it's a kingdom in transition right sure yeah is what it seems like okay kingdom in transition yeah go ahead Jimmer. who is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of, of every creature for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth visible and invisible whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers all things were created by him and for him and he is before all things and by him all things exist and he is the head of the body the church who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead that in all things he might have the preeminence for it is for, for it pleased the father that in him should all fullness dwell and having made peace through the blood of the cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him. I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. My turn. <coughs> for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory <coughs> of the children of God. Yeah, so I feel like those verses kind of grab at Jesus' kingdom being more than just a spiritual kingdom, more what's going on in our hearts. Creation itself is part of his redemption. Now, Jonathan, you were saying, um, let's <coughs> pause and, and talk about those that contrast a little bit. So you were saying a kingdom in transition, so you've got a kingdom in our hearts uh, that one day will be a kingdom of the, of the physical world? Uh, yes, that's the telos of the kingdom. Eventually he will reign upon the earth. And right now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father while all enemies are made subjection under him. And as Dan's been talking, the final enemy is death, and death is still around. So it's it had you know it's the already not yet. And another verse that I think supports this, um, as far as I can tell, this passage is not just a strange artifact of going from Aramaic to or Greek, I don't, uh, Greek to <coughs> English. 
um, when, uh, um, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. You know, Christ has already appeared, but it's it's a process uh, mm-hmm. that um, the full revelation of who he was had only happened to his disciples uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, but there was a glimmer of that in the hearts of a few who who were given that knowledge by God. And, and Jesus himself says um, to Peter, right, uh, how, what does he say when Peter makes the declaration of who Christ is? Uh, what's Christ's response? It's, uh, surely God has revealed this to you, or only God could have revealed this to you, is, is the gist okay, of it. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's because Christ was veiling his, his identity to a certain extent, in the same way mm-hmm. that his kingdom is like a bunch of mushrooms underneath the ground, you know. Uh, <laughs> the, fruiting bo- the fruiting bodies <laughs> is all you see, right. but uh, they can actually be massive, uh, encompassing an entire forest. And you know, and that, that, that would go to Calvin's idea of the invisible church and the visible church. And I don't know how much I buy that. but So connect that to Jesus talks a lot more in the Gospels about his kingdom than hearts. Yeah. What connect that emphasis into what you're saying? <laughs> uh, okay, so I think a good practical example would be the gospel, the idea that one can be saved, is just a liminal transition. It would be Rahab, who was a pagan prostitute who was doomed to destruction in uh, Jericho she was saved by the faith that she placed in the God of the Israelites but that was just her identifying with the kingdom the rest of her life was building that kingdom so I think Christians in America who focus so much on the gospel get hung up on that first liminal transition and have no sense of what then the rest of how then shall we live? You know, the, the Schaefer, I think. It's yeah. almost like you're quoting from Rich Lustig. Really? Yeah. Okay, I haven't read it. That's, that's like, I think that's spot on where he, where he goes. What? Yeah. what does liminal mean? Liminal uh, is like the, uh, uh, I think it comes from uh, threshold, the idea of the door, stepping through a doorway. Yeah, yeah that, and that's where that's where I, I'm going to go in conclusion and connecting. Well, his, his kind of response to the, his issue with the way the gospel sometimes presented um, is that, like, do you sense a tension with? Uh, I mean, just from the verses we didn't really dig into, but yeah, Rick. Well, so, um, I mean, I've heard. You know, I won't, I won't mention the guy's name because I'm not 100 percent sure I'd be represented correctly. But if I, but if I am correct, I know a pastor who. His view of the gospel is only about saving individuals, and the effect that, that saving individuals has on society and the culture and the world—that's the effect of the gospel. That's not part of the gospel. Whereas others would say saving individuals is just part of the gospel. But the, the gospel is that as individuals are saved. It transforms the world, and so it's 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 really a question of where you draw the boundary 
around what you're defining as the gospel. And I got to admit, I my personal view is that you know, saving individuals is just part of the gospel. It, it is the gospel of the kingdom. Yeah. And and that and that you know and that good news is that the kingdom, you know, as Jonathan was saying, is the, the already and the not yet. The kingdom was here, but it's not here in the fullest sense that one day it will be. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's I think that's excellent. <coughs> um, where did my where did we leave off here? Um, Yeah, I, I, um, I think you, you guys are, are right on. Um, I don't know, exa- I don't know if where I exactly. So Wilson had an interesting art post where he kind of takes the idea of being born again, and we think of that as some kind of regeneration that we go through, which it is. Um, he's not disagreeing with that. But he's sort of framing it in a larger context. If he's like, well. Does it make sense in the way you conceive it that Jesus is the first one who's born again, and that creation that Israel has been is been born again, that creation is being born again, and then kind of brings um, a couple of the scripture verses we already looked at, but um, Jesus is the firstborn of creation, and um, Ezekiel, where God says Israel, He's going to re- renew and remake Israel, sprinkle them with water so that they're clean, and, and basically make Israel being born again, and that's what He says in John three sixteen or John three, chapter three before that. That's what He tells Nicodemus is you all must be born again. Don't you know that as a teacher of Israel, Israel needs to be born again. So framing our individual conversion into uh, as a step into this larger <coughs> redemption that Jesus is accomplishing. So we know it's not just in our hearts, but we also know our hearts are critical and essential to what being part of what's happening. Which kind of, I wanted to like, I wanted to kind of go on a little tangent that, and then bring it right back in, which is a question I've heard um, from unbelievers uh, as recently as quite recently, um, <laughs> which is why is belief sufficient? Or what is it about an affirmation of the mind that makes us part of something else? Then we, when you believe something, you follow through with that belief. Just, you know, if you believe the world is flat, you're going to act as if the world is flat. <laughs> if you believe the world is round, you're going to act as the world is round. They still get on airplanes, right? <laughs> and travel the same way. Their trains go the same direction ours do. But if you believe that the airplane will fly, you're going to act as the airplane is going to fly. So you're going to go yep. on airplanes. So like even going, so if you believe that Jesus is who he is, then you're going to yep. live accordingly. So you think the belief is sufficient because it connects us to action. So was is the was the belief sufficient, or was it, or is the belief ultimately? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, James says, uh, "You say you have faith. I say it's good. Show me your faith by your works." So right. yeah, I mean, I think James yeah. agrees. Um, and, and then there's Romans twelve two. Uh, I I have. Appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, as your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And in the parable of the sower, we see lots of people who 
claim that they believe, but their actions don't bear that out. Uh, right. You know, for whatever reason, like I. <coughs> yeah, Josh. Do you think that um, the belief also would need to be, you would have, it would have to be submissive, like the devil believed, mm -hmm. right? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you, you need to submit in, in your in our belief. We need to submit that Jesus is Lord, and uh, as opposed to rebelling. So, right, um, which is. If you want to, Josh, pull up John one eleven. That's the, I think that connects to what you're saying, and that's the verse I, I kind of wanted to pull out to answer that. Because I think they're good questions. Like, how could, um, you know, is an action more important than words? Is another one of the things that you know. How could our words accomplish anything? And well, our words are, are <coughs> we believe in Jesus' actions. Actions are more important than words. Like they're legitimate, legitimate questions about belief. But yeah, read John one eleven. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. <coughs> he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. That's the whole verse? One eleven. Maybe keep going. Keep going past that. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Yeah, that's the verse I meant. It was 12. Or it connects the idea of reception and belief. As many as re received him, aka who believed in his name, uh, it might not be a, it might not be a, aka it could be a, a modifier, but it, it at least connects the two ideas of <coughs> belief being a reception of the work Jesus has done. Um, and so to be not believe in him is to reject him and his work, and to um, to believe in him is to receive it, and then that's what you're talking about, Courtney, we're in receiving it, we're submitting to it, and we're, we're participating and acting on, on it. Um, it is interesting in yeah. the parable of the two sons, uh, you yeah. know, the one says, oh yeah, I'll get right on it, Dad, right. and it doesn't do it. Right. Yeah. And oh yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, and Jesus makes a big point, mm -hmm. like, the one who said no, and did it anyway, and, and that makes me think of his excruciating conversation with Peter where he says, do you love me? Three times, and then right. he says, then do what I said. <coughs> then do what I said over and over and over and over. Right. And uh, they're inseparable. Yeah. yeah. What were you about to say? I'm oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> kind of connects to, to uh, a confusing verse that I had Josiah start out with. I think it's Mark eleven twelve. Yeah, not Matthew eleven twelve. Matthew eleven twelve. Um but I think it connects to what your, talk, your, what your point, Jonathan. Um, and there is disagreement on this verse, but I think it, I think it's clear from other places in Scripture. Uh, you want, anyone want to read Matthew eleven twelve? Anyone have it pulled up? From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. It's a difficult one. Um, <coughs> Taking the kingdom of God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. James Jordan and I agree. <laughs> yeah. What, what do you What do you, James Jordan, say? Tell me. Uh, that it's a positive thing. Right. Yeah. That, that it's those who boldly dare to believe. Right. And take take it again. I mean, 
the promises of God in the Old Testament are almost always realized by violence. <laughs> yeah. In, in, right. Including Abraham being willing to kill his own son. Um, there's this uh, shocking nature of needing to step out into it, and it may involve slaughter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And Jacob wrestling with God. Yes. And, and so many connect with, um, with what you were talking about, with the son who perseveres in mm-hmm. being diligent in what he has to do. He is, uh, and the people who are selling all they have to get the pearl in the field, the people who are, are striving and fighting to hold on to the kingdom of God. Are you quoting Teddy Roosevelt there? No. What? The, the, man in, the man in the ring? The oh, ring? no, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, and, and Luke, I think the context of Luke 16, 16, which seems to be a, um, a um, which seems to be, Luke's phrasing of the same thing, um, which is, long the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. So it's it's less of a of a raucous analogy, but they're pushing their way into the kingdom. They want it. They're seeking it, and that's what Jesus talks about. the The way is narrow, and it's difficult. He's saying to the Jews, and he's like, the Gentiles are going to stream in, though. It doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to be hard for them, but they're going to fight. They want it. They're going to fight for it. That second. What was the passage? Uh, Luke sixteen sixteen. The pressing in. That pressing. seems like connective tissue that would connect this violence to the friends of the lame man that burrowed a uh-huh. hole and let him yeah. down. You know, like they're yeah. committing violence against personal <laughs> property. To yeah, that right. Up. That's a good point. Um, yeah, so to believe in Jesus' actions is to receive him. Um, and that action of belief binds us to Jesus' action, and then gives us work to do. So that's finally, I think, is how we reconcile the gospel of our heart with the gospel of Jesus' kingdom. Um, and returning to Lusk, um, what he says, and it's kind of almost exactly what you were saying, Jonathan, some gospel presentations start out this way. If you were to die tonight, do you know your soul would go to heaven? This is an important question, and it is vital that we know how to answer that. But what if you don't die tonight? What if you live? Then what does the gospel do for you? Um, and that's, that's um, his continuation of what we started with. And the answer is that uh, when we're born again, it's not an individual event. right? We're born again into the kingdom of God. We're born again into the Israel that is being born again. We're born again into a world that is being born again. Um, personal regeneration should be a central focus of our evangelism. Um, none of this is against like the four spiritual laws um, and those kind of tracks and stuff, but personal regeneration isn't the complete gospel by itself. It's a, I wrote, it's a hinge point, a doorway, a critical first step into everything else Christ is doing. Um, the, um, James Jordan also talks about this uh, contrast. He sees mostly with, ba- with the Baptist church, but of like uh, people doing beach evangelism, passing tracks out, and having, you know, having great um, success on the one hand, but then people... On the other hand, seeing how a lot of those conversions are short-term, they don't persevere. And with the, he emphasizes Baptists because they have that emphasis on that conversion moment um, because that's when they're going to baptize you and say, okay, you're, you're, you're real now. Um, he sees a, a Reformed Baptist kind of reaction to that that's focused on like hard conversions. Like we got to make sure you're for real. And, and, we, and we don't want easy conversions, we want hard conversions. And James Jordan's point is that the sower... He just ca- he easily casts seed out. He's not concerned about where the making sure the person is is for for real when they hear the gospel. Um, the 
focus is perseverance. The focus is um, we can do tracks. We, can, we want to sh be sharing the gospel with our neighbor. But we need to be discipling. We need to be portraying the full picture of the Christian life, not just getting someone to affirm the words and then leaving them to seeing if their emotions carry them into, uh, <coughs> into something that's, that's into more meat. Yeah. The statement you made a moment ago about the conversion being uh, a corporate thing, being born again, I, it makes me think, recently I was reading um, City of God, uh, yeah. and he makes the point that the Christians were suffering along with the Roman pagans because they had not been sufficiently zealous in changing the, the horrible ways of life that their fellow neighbor was participating in. And they had just, well, that's them. We'll go live holy off over here. But they weren't huh. taking those hard stances of saying, no, you can't go to the Colosseum and watch people torn apart by lions. And no, you can't go and have your ritualistic fornication in front of Athena. Um, Interesting. And they have suffering the same. And, and he, he said uh, it's, it's a chastisement to both for different reasons. Um, it's us that we were not sufficiently evangelistic, basically. Interesting. But yeah. evangelistic in the sense of not just that conversion moment, but also addressing to unbelievers, you may not believe my my faith, but you still need to stop that, and I'm telling you why. Right. Um, which, yeah, I, I think there are a lot of Baptists who the only point of contention they're willing to bring is at the gospel, whereas they won't stand up and say, okay, well, you won't accept this Christ, but you still need to stop <laughs> uh, these other horrors. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, God's law restrains the, the evil, mm -hmm. uh, even if they're not believers, it restrains them. Yeah. The um, yeah the final the final piece I had here was that when we um, when we receive His work for us, we become sons and daughters of the second Adam. We get to start participating in his renewal of the world, um, filling the earth, subduing it, discipling the nations. And our Sabbath worship today is our Garden of Eden. Um, in I'm sure it's other places too, but I feel like Milton is, it makes a really nice picture of Adam and Eve are in the garden, kind of learning how to garden, learning how to train plants to be beautiful. And they have the example where they're in the garden, God's done that. In the garden, they see how God has made and trained these plants to be beautiful, and then they're sent regular Eden well, before the fall to like start practicing on plants and, and making them and that's that's us we need to be here in worship is our time where we are um, we are participating in how God wants the world to be and we're following his pattern and then he sends us out to go and make our lives into that so how do we do that I just wrote a couple of things and I wrote go and care for your neighbor's soul um, go and make beautiful things in beautiful places. Um, we need to care about that stuff. You know, it's not, God's not the God of practicality. God's the God of beauty. Um, we need to make things, we need to care about things being beautiful. We need to steward our house and our yard. We need to honor our boss. We need to care for our coworkers. And feast this week with our families and friends um, and our neighbors. Uh, a feast is where we set the beauty of the world between people, where we enjoy the fruit of the work Christ has given us. So we want to start we're going to keep and start and do more sharing the God, God's good news with sinners and then not forget the rest of it, that we begin the glorious work given to Adam and Eve uh, because Christ's kingdom is here and, and coming.